About once a week, I go onto Twitter and see that Rex Murphy is trending on the platform. Left-wing Twitter despises him, and every time he releases a column, it seems, the angry groupthink mob loses their mind, goes after him, and demands that he be fired from the National Post, where he's written a regular column since 2010. Fortunately for Canadians, Rex hasn't been fired. Not yet, anyway. Over the summer, he wrote a column with the headline, Canada is not a racist country, despite what the Liberals say. The column was fairly tame and stated truths that many Canadians have long agreed on, namely that Canada is not a country defined by racism. Regardless, the column generated an extreme reaction, particularly among the staff at the National Post, which is purportedly a newspaper with a conservative editorial position. The newspaper held an emergency all-staff meeting, the audio of which was leaked to a left-wing blog, where editors groveled and apologized to the woke staff for the sin of allowing an old white guy like Rex to write a column on racism. Despite countless attempts to cancel Rex Murphy, the mob just can't seem to close the deal. And for many Canadians, myself included, Rex is a legend and an icon of Canadian journalism. He is most commonly known for his 21-year stint as the regular host of CBC Radio 1's Cross Country Checkup, a nationwide call-in show where Rex would speak directly to everyday Canadians to get a real feel for what was going on in the country. Rex also had a regular commentary segment on CBC's The National, sharing his perspective on political, social, and cultural issues to a wide audience. For decades, Rex has provided a much-needed dose of common sense in a world where good sense is anything but common. In our conversation, Rex and I talked about a broad range of issues, including his critique of the Trudeau government and its handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, the changes he's seen in the media landscape over the past few decades, the totalitarian impulses of the left and the media, cancel culture, riots, media manipulation, and how he personally stands up to the mob and refuses to be a victim of cancel culture. It was an honor sitting down with Rex in this, the premiere episode of season two of the True North Speaker series. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let me know what you think in the comments section, and please share this video with friends and like-minded Canadians. Rex Murphy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sitting down with me here today. Well, it's fun to be here. Well, I, I feel like this has just been such an interesting time in the world, an interesting year, because uh, you know, every time there's an election, you wrote recently about how every election is the most yeah. important election, and, and it's an election year in the US, and things have just sort of been thrown oh, yeah. into turmoil because of all of the various things that have happened. So before we get into the sort of substance of the interview, I just want to get your overview. Uh, you know, what, what do you make of the COVID-19 crisis? What do you make of, of the sort of lockdowns and the, and the state of the economy right now? Well, it, it's a coagulation. Uh, we've had uh, since our own minor Canadian election, uh, where we had the beginnings of the new tension in Canada, which is a very serious problem. Uh, that got kind of sidelined. COVID swam into view and suffocated every other issue and policy that we know about. And there are very, very many. Some of them are international, like the two people that we have in the China uh, archipelago. Uh, some of them are, are obviously your relations with the states. 
Then on top of COVID as a medical uh, in, in invasion, we had the suspension uh, of virtually the entire Canadian economy. And that received secondary attention because health always has priority over us. But that in itself means that there is a, a subterraneous rumbling of a second vast crisis about to break out as soon as we think we've dealt sufficiently with COVID. And then on top of this, number three, on top of that, we had this ridiculous minority government, which depending on what day it is, is either supported by the Bloc or the NDP, and Mr. Trudeau deciding to play Robinson Crusoe in the uh, Governor General's cottage. And we have suspended Parliament. I'm not an historian, so I may be completely wrong on this. But we have suspended Parliament for the longest time that I think it ever has been suspended. And we are on top of that. This is number five. Uh, we are spending, my most recent number, is at least $159 billion uh, without a budget, uh, without any financial update, without the ability of the, uh, the finance officers of the Parliament itself to uh, interrogate is the current word. And finally, the Auditor General, uh, who is the most slender individual on Parliament Hill right now, uh, he's been asked to look at expenditures that are exponentially uh, greater than any other time in history on a budget that is much reduced and he can't do it. And finally, on top of that, COVID as a psychological moment has ratcheted up tensions of politics, both here, but most especially in the States, because there we have the Sphinx-like figure, uh, the, the absolute phoenix of American politics, Donald Trump. And he's an electrical system all to himself. And as it draws close to November 4th, all of these things are coming to some confluence or convergence. And I expect the next four months, especially as it plays out on the ground in America and in employment up here, in industry up here, are going to be among the most singular, uh, and I'm not being rhetorical, uh, that I've seen in the long wasted years of my life. Well, it's, it's really interesting because you know, so much of our attention is geared towards the U.S. election and what is happening with Trump. But, you know, things around us just haven't gone back to normal. We haven't really had no. a sense of normal no. since at least February, maybe. And, it, it, you know, amidst the chaos yeah. of what's happening around us, particularly with COVID, but then also the sort of rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, which has been around for five years or so, it's but been around, it's but really it, boiled it, over. It's, mut it's mutated. Uh, there's no, no questioning that the original incident, the cop with the knee on the black person, uh, triggered a political response. But anyone who thinks that they can now connect that particularly criminal incident, which, by the way, led to immediate charges, which were then upgraded. Mm -hmm. Justice did come into play. If you think that that has anything to do, we're talking on a Monday, if you think that that has anything to do with the behavior in Chicago last night, for example, and with the rash, uh, 70, 50, 39 shootings per weekend. Uh, uh, some masked citizens, Antifa or BLM, I don't know how you tell the difference, mm -hmm. assuming, I, I find this quite incredible, and I know the meaning of the word, that at some point in the North American city, 100 or 200 or 300 strangers can walk into already tenanted and business established six blocks of a modern city and assume authority over it 
with the tacit permission of the then mayor. I've been reading today before I came to see you of citizens of Seattle who during that period were asked for their pass to go into their own house. And you've seen in Portland, as we're speaking, there's been 73 day, nights running in which they burn down police precincts, they shoot people, they have gang attacks. This is not BLM or an Antifa, this is some other thing. This is why I, I, sp I spilled out all those other things. I'm seeing something new here. We've always had clashes on the streets, but this is a long running program. And while I have absolutely no evidence, I cannot dissociate it with the intense passions that are, are aggravated, in some cases justifiably, in other cases not, by the extreme electrical personality of Trump. And yet three years of collusion, the election is coming, and I think there are new and negative forces of some real danger that is going to recharacterize. There's one set that will not have him president again, and there's another set that if they feel he has been broken illegitimately, are not going to be happy again. I do not see, I have not seen, I meant that thing. I know everyone says it's the biggest. Mm -hmm. I, I, John Kennedy to the present minute, there is nothing as potentially volatile as the next three or four months in the States, and that means for us too. Well, so Rex, what is it about the current time and Donald Trump? Because you know we, we hear it so often; it's become cliche that every election is the most important I know election. We do, and it's never and, true. And, and sometimes it feels like we're just sort of reliving the same stuff over and over no. again. Like 2016 was sort of like this, mm. and, and we see it with the the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, this is sort of a Occupy reiteration of, of something else, or something else, yeah. or something else. Even in Canada earlier this year, you know, in in January, we had those big blockades that were yes, blocking we all did. the railways. Yep. And in, in February, you know, and that was a big movement, and then it sort of subsided. So, so is it a new movement, or yes, what, it what, is. what is different this yes, time? Yes, it is. Uh, a, uh, the communication system in which we have. When you have an incident in one of these, one of the states of a police officer uh, doing what he did, and three days later you have a Black Lives movement of a hundred thousand people in London, England, uh, your mind can you can contain the connection. But now an international connection and uh, electric connection means that you, you, can, you can spread a movement under the guise of a banner. All you need is, is the phrase, I don't know more, Occupy Wall Street. And coming from that, there's, there's no content. I mean, if you look at the, the record, I was thinking particularly of Chicago, because I've been reading about it for the last three months. The number of young black people that are dying in Chicago every single weekend is almost at a war level. Mm -hmm. And yet, that absorbs in Canadian or American news hardly anything. These movements begin with a spark that is legitimate, but then either outside forces or those who are in the business of politics as protest. In my, I'm ancient, I, was, I made the linen for the mummies. And when I went to a protest in, in the 60s, mm -hmm. It was because 6,000 people got laid off on an Argentine naval base and they were denied pensions. I give you that example for a reason. 6,000 Newfoundlanders worked there for 35 years and their pensions were disgraceful. So what would we have? We got the unemployed, there was five or 600 of them at the time, and we brought them to the Confederation building. We met with the Premier with a petition and we said, here's what we want, not demand. Uh, these people have worked for 30 years. 
they're being denied their pension. In other words, you see how specific it is, how particularly targeted it is. And we then didn't go around St. John's throwing firecrackers at people's houses and burning down police stations and sending the world to the word to the rest of the world. Whatever whatever turns you on tonight, get out in the street, beat someone up, throw Molotov cocktails at the cops, and deny the value of your own country. This is far more than protest. It's an emergence, and I keep calling it emergence, of a kind of politics that had been off, off limits before. We've seen tastes of it in other countries and in other times, and I'm not going to fill in the analogies at this stage. But when the civil authority allows, and to some point commends, summer of love was the, was the phrase of the mayor in Seattle, and strangers can come into your street and take your house, or they can burn down the police station and nothing happens. If you, if, you, if you abide it, if you oblige it, if you tacitly consent to it, and if you say that the dissolution of civil order in this particular case is okay, you are setting a vile contagion in progress. It's not the virus that is the most contagious thing. It's once you decay respect for civil order and you make that an instrument of politics. Some of the politics going on now is to make people afraid of doing certain things, standing up for certain ideas or certain people. And that gets into the metaphorical range when you get into cancel culture. Watch what happens on the streets and unless we restore the, sec the security of the citizen of the state and he or she and their children can in normal circumstances walk about and be free of hostility or violence. This is the new thing. Right. Well, there's I'm talking too long, aren't I? No, I, I, <laughs> no it's, re it's really an interesting point, and I think it ties to something uh, that I was thinking about, which was that when the Black Lives Matter protests first started happening, the George Floyd protests, we were still under strict lockdown. And, and then all of a sudden, you had health experts saying it was okay to go out and shoot. Yeah. But, but Rex, like two weeks earlier, there were anti-lockdown protests, you know, here in Ontario, Queens Park, and in other places, and they, they were completely written off as being rednecks and, and all these, you know, yahoos out there. You're at, you're at, the, like, you're at the heart of another it, major, major problem. The, the vivid, the vivid hypocrisy right. that divides circumstances. If you do something for this reason, it's okay, even if it is a medical circumstance. However, if you do it for this reason, and it's a medical circumstance, you are a Yahoo, you are a barbarian, and you should be locked up in the Himalayas with the other guy. That the, that the authorities in charge of us can so blazonly say, oh, by the way, because it's a political protest for a cause we do approve of, has to be one of those, by the way. You wouldn't want the thousand people protesting a, pi a pipeline out in the streets of Toronto and getting a blessing. It could be for Black Lives Matter. It could be for some sexual movement. There's a list of causes for which you can gather 100,000 people and there's no possibility of contagion. There's another list that if you bring 10 people together or they walk on a beach, they're going to get sick. The hypocrisy of these things is noted at the level that you never hear on the political panels or you never hear in most of the newspapers. Well, it seemed to be lost on so many of the sort of elite consensus makers, like even, you know, MP uh, Adam Vaughn here in Toronto said, you know, that people are protesting for their safety because... 
Right, but 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 like they 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 so believe what they're saying they that do they've not created this distinction. Saying. They use it as pretext. They know that they can flout, they can flout the orders, and they can turn on others of a different persuasion who would like to flout the orders, but they will get condemned. It is always the hypocrisy. If I say something nice and mean it, and have some arguments for it about the country or about the oil industry. You have the complete capacity to say something, well, I find something wrong with the country and something greedy about the oil. And the two of us can go out and have a plate of French fries together. But in this new world, uh, from my standing, I'm a villain. Right. And you're Archangel floating up to meet before the throne of God. If you have the right political views. If you're on that side of the fence. But I, I just, I mean, to me, I, I don't understand how the public can go along with something. After months and months and months of being told you cannot go outside, you can't be in groups, you can't uh, have a funeral for a loved one who's that's passed right. away, you can't you can't have a wedding, Very, you can't get married, you right. can't visit people in the hospital yes. who are sick. All of these really, really sort of life-defining things they that are. we cannot do. I mean, to a lesser extent, I have an 18-month-old son, and he couldn't even interact and play with other I little know. kids. And you think of what the long-term damage yes, could be, consequences. Like, he, finally, now he's getting to go out and see his cousins and stuff. But you, you can't imagine what that kind of psychological damage might do. In 18 months, maybe not. But if you're three, four, five years old, there's all kinds of damage wrecks. And then to, and then to all of a sudden have these sort of elites come out and say, well, if you're protesting this one thing, you're exempt in your case. I, I don't understand why there's not more backlash. Well, I, I'm, gl I'm really glad. And I, I'm not being, again, rhetorical. I'll give you even one more. Yours is pretty painful. Mm -hmm. I won't be particular. I know a gentleman who's been married for 30 or 40 years and who actually loves his wife. This is a rare thing, and I understand, in modern days. But he really does, and does at the present minute. She had a series of climactic illnesses, and I won't, but she had to be put in a special place. He spent six hours a day with her from the time she went into that special place. He would leave, and he would sit by her bedside mm -hmm. six hours a day. And COVID comes. This man loves his wife. She loves him. And he's told by the health authorities he can no longer sit by his wife. Now, you ask the question, which is the question. It's, you ask two questions. How could the elites have such bottomless shamelessness and hypocrisy as to say, oh, if it's for the cause, which is metaphysical as opposed to medical, then all the rules of life and death no longer apply because that's for global warming. I'm going to make an easier one, okay? But if you want to see your dying wife, well, you know, you're, you're a barbarian willing to spread the death plague to the rest of the world. And you asked the other thing was, why do people... I, at a level of discourse that a lot of people don't deal, if you drop out of the television world yeah. or, or, or the world of panels or conferences and you sit around in other places, and these are what I call the good people of this world, mm -hmm. they know this, they laugh at it, they scorn it, but in some cases they're immensely ticked. And when, for example, I'm going to tie things together here, when they see a wee scandal, and $900 million being passed over for distribution with a $50 million fee, and they haven't got enough to repair the goddamn muffler, and they paid taxes last year, however little they had to work to pay them. This is being seen. I don't think it relates to the violence that we see in the States, because that's political. 
but it does relate to the, the faith of a certain element of the Canadian citizenry who are its backbone. The truck driver and the person at the grocery store are looking up. Why is that woman at the grocery store not allowed to take a tip, by the way? I've tried a few times. Why isn't there some sort of signal that this was really special work? And you went there from the very, very beginning in the truck driver. Yet we can have, if we get to the higher classes, teachers, full salary. And we have this huge debate. There is a division in this country. It isn't racial. It is how the ones that are very comfortable and very secure operate on a set of rules that works for them and has exceptions built in for them when they want to pick them. But for you, I forget the guy who was walking his dog about six weeks ago and got an $800 fine. Right. But if he'd been running around with three or four big signs and trying to burn down a building, they'd probably give him the Governor General's Medal. Or, well, or if he was the uh, mayor of Brampton who was just caught yeah. uh, at the hockey rink playing and you didn't have a mask on I'd ask you a question on that. How <laughs> is it that someone who was once a leader of a party and who then becomes a, becomes a mayor, how can you be so zealously stupid as to pull off that? But it, you got to work at that. It, it sort of represents the attitude, and, and what, what I is. see, what, what I see really, perfect. Rex, is a separation between the sort of elite opinion I, and the I, opinion of, of everyone else, and the, I think that's what's dividing the separation of elite life right. for others. When I see the, the I, I drive a lot of cabs because I didn't have a car for a long while. When I see the cab driver here from Somalia or whatever the hell they're from. Mm -hmm. The cabs are dirty, they're sweaty. He's on 12 hours, 14 hours a goddamn day. And he's, he loses the value of his license. And then they bring in a, a, a carbon tax or something, or they bring in, they, they kill his, his, whole, his whole future. Or I see the women that work in the hotels, I end up with a lot of them. They're all, all that I see come, seemingly come from the Philippines. They're sending money home. Does that world ever show up on these panel shows? Does the farmer who had to pay the extra carbon tax to dry his damn wheat and his wife was working in a, in, in a pharmacy in town to support the farm, do you think that these people are going to be discussed on the five o'clock shows? We're in two worlds. And that world up here that's comfortable, they can get their $48,000 contracts and still sit on the damn panel. $48,000 or forty-one or whatever it was is, is a gold mine for the people watching. Right. Well, Rex, I mean, you understand Canada and the country probably better than anyone. You had a long, long time radio show on CBC and then CBC National. We all have a voice in our life. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I'm curious about that because, you know, you were sort of a, a pathway, a bridge between the, the people. They would call into your show. Yeah. They would tell you you, you sympathetic or empathetic to uh, situations of people all over the country. And I mean, you're, you're not at the CBC anymore. I, I want to know what you what you think. Do you think the CBC has has changed? Or do you think that it's they're part worse. of the part of the reason why the elite consensus is so oh, separate totally from? Totally I, I I didn't criticize what I mean. I have. I, I call it manners, believe it or not. Uh, I managed, I had a thought that it's better to get something out than nothing. Uh, I did the, the dominant philosophies at the CBC at the time. I didn't like, and I know this much, I, I only emerged insofar as I can claim to have emerged because I got a beginning in Newfoundland. And in Newfoundland, thank God, back then, you, we, were, we were less civilized. We could get away with more. Okay. than the stuff that I was getting away with on Newfoundland television, would never have made a minute on Canadian television. And I won't go into the whole tale, but when I finally 
worked my way through the system, if you can put it that way, or gotten lucky, probably lucky is better. I thought that, you know, in terms of commentary, at five minutes a week, even if it wasn't everything I wanted to get out, or occasionally, because this is very important, if I could make a connection. I remember we were talking about the Philippine women. There was one commentary I still remember. It was a Filipino woman in, I think, Edmonton, and she'd been spotted by one of her employees that she was working two jobs. So they wanted to send her back to the Philippines because she was working too much. And I remember, I remember it very well. I went on that night and I said, we have, we have a need of new immigration laws. We've got to put a block on Filipino women who really want to do some work. Working too hard. So it, that's, a, that's a cameo that just came to me, and forgive me. But that was one of the reasons why I held on, because every now and then you would have one moment to shine, you got very particular. The other reason was I thought that CBC was not connecting with at least 60% of its own audience and that they needed at least a, a, a filament, the thinnest possible line to some other point of view. Right. And so I, I, I took that over. And on checkup, I only had one philosophy. I wasn't the guest. I was the filter. If you got on, I wanted to treat you well. I'm not going to guide you because I'm not better than you. Say what you want to say. You can be nice. You can be dull. I made that a point. I didn't care. If you got on, you were eight minutes and you were done. That's you. Let's hear it. Okay. And it was the politesse, to use a showy word, that more than anything else enlivened that program. Canadians liked that because it was not interesting in a dead sense. But it gave you, over time, a reflection of the temperament of the majority of the people. Majority wasn't the leaders. Right. I used to love talking to some of the, the truckers that end up down in the states. They pull over to the side. We'd be talking about you know Chinese immigration or something. But we'd end up talking about the price of the hamburger on the road. Right. That's the stuff that worked. Well, that that is interesting because that's is the kind of thing that you wouldn't you wouldn't really hear about otherwise. But I feel like that kind of programming doesn't really exist on no, the CBC. No, it doesn't. It's all cost programming, and, attitude programming. Well, and it probably wouldn't be able to. I, I remember a, a couple months ago, maybe it was a year ago now, a fellow that was a radio host out in Vancouver got fired because he was making sort of racial stereotypes saying, I think something similarly, you know, along the lines of what you were just saying about how Filipinos work really hard and well, other cultures know. don't work as hard. Or something. I know. He, he, he made some comment about cultures and stuff like that, and that was considered politically if, if incorrect. If we're in a world and, where you cannot make make a positive reference to a group that you know. I know many, many people from many, many cultures. Right. And I, I, I've also determined that in the case of the poor women, and it is almost exclusively mm -hmm. across the entire country, and usually in the better hotels, mm -hmm. I keep saying, you know, the, the big people go to the rich restaurant and they'll drop a $50 tip. The one up there who has been cleaning up last night's spew party is lucky to be getting minimum wage. I always feel, pay some attention to ordinary people. For sure, well, so even in, in my neighborhood, like I mentioned, I have an 18 month old son and I, I stay home with him. I also get some help from my mom, from his grandma. And you know, we go around the park in my neighborhood and it's almost all Filipino women yeah. with, with the little kids because they are all, every, everyone <coughs> in the neighborhood has a Filipino nanny and that's just sort of how it is in yeah. Toronto. And it's, it's, it's uh, <laughs> really kind of interesting to, to sort it's of get to know some and of these it's, women. And it's awkward, and some uh, but there, there's so much, you know. The other points that we have here, you know, all, all this COVID stuff and the interruption of the school, mm -hmm. it, it reminds me of the, the other great element greater than news media, or 
is the kind of educational decline. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a specialist or anything, but the absence of rigor in the in the teaching of how to think, how the mind operates, how to accumulate information, how to discriminate between particular instances, how to refine an argument, how to understand where to get the information from in the first place, how to conduct an analysis within your own mind of your own mind, and introduction to the proven great thoughts that have been established over three or four thousand years. I cannot imagine if I live near Everest, not once looking up. And the same is true if you have 30, 40, 50 years on this earth and you don't taste Beethoven or Michelangelo or Shakespeare, if you ignore everything that is awesome that has been constructed by the human spirit, you haven't tasted life and you lack judgment. Right. And so many of these ridiculous people running around on the street, <coughs> I saw one interview, uh, interview with the one who wanted to haul down the statue of Winston Churchill, she thought he was still alive. You had to be pretty empty-headed in Britain of 2020 not to know that Churchill is dead. Well, uh, We've but, scooped your heads out. But that, that's sort of the, the, the thing is like a lot of the movement is driven by sort of ignorance but also arrogance, the idea that we know better than everyone else, we know arrogance better than anyone around us. Arrogance is the twin of the ignorance. And nothing fuels arrogance more than knowing nothing to begin with except the one little sweet idea that you think makes you special. And the idea that your idea overrules mine just on your say-so is one of the most despicable features of our time. You can, I can say this about you, but you can't say anything about me. And if we do, we'll chase you out of your job or we'll, we'll put you off the screen or you won't be allowed to teach next year. Global warming is a really great example. Right. I can't imagine that an argument about the weather, because that's what it's about. Right. Not the soul, not the sexuality of some person, not some deep religion. It's the goddamn weather. Well, and it's and not, if it's you not say, even, hey, I don't believe even, it. Bang, bang, it's not bang. even the weather. It's like a the theoretical it's idea of what the weather might be like a hundred years ago that. based on models, based on math. Based on bad models and bad math and the conjunction of huge amounts of money and forces trying to push a particular agenda of which global warming is merely the instrument. Well, so I, I want to get back to the CBC and sort of how <coughs> it all fits together because, uh, if this, you know, you were at the CBC for a long time. You understand that institution better than most because you, you've been on both sides I've of suffered. it. <laughs> you've suffered. Well, you, you provided a service for the country for many years and then that service ended. But, you know, we see the CBC in Canada as sort of one of the leaders of this concept of, of or of saying, you know, these are the these are the things that we believe in. Yeah. And if you don't believe these exact things, yeah. you don't even get a seat at the table no, anymore. You don't, you don't, you don't get to be part of the conversation. It. And you, we saw that with global warming that, yep. you know, if you didn't have the exact right opinions, Rex, Absolutely. you were a denier, right? Well, like you, you, you weren't yeah. even, you know, and, and, and but, but it's expanded the same way as we saw with, um, you know, uh, the ability to say things after the, the George Floyd riots. Yeah, you know, you, exactly. you, you, ha you had Stockwell Day getting kicked off of his yeah. panel there because he held the wrong opinion, which was to say that... that his bad eyes in high school uh, had him suffer some humiliation and that to make a comparison of that to having humiliation because of race was some crime. It may have been a bad analogy, but there's nothing wrong with him. By the way, I, I'm glad you brought that up. One thing that was missing from the Stockwell Day story mm -hmm. was the host of the program, even if she agreed with the silly decision to knock him out, 
to at least come on the next day and say he's been a, a decent and a worthwhile guest and a fine human being on this show. We're sorry he tripped. And in the meantime, we got Alavaro in a much different situation. Courtesy is the beginning of a lot of civic virtue. They should have said, thank you, Stockwell. Well, and at least acknowledge that, you know, there are other opinions yeah, out there. there are other opinions. I, I mean, and that's, that's sort of the funny thing, because I, I, you know, I get accused of it sometimes. I know you have, and I, hopefully we'll get into what happened with you at the National Post. But, you know, the, the, I'll, I'll get called, you know, right wing or, or far right yeah, or something like that. Will. And it's like, okay, you know, in, in the actual country, there's a really wide range of views. There's a wide, wide range of opinions. I know. People in the media hold a very narrow subset of those views. And so what, what the media might consider you know, far right. It's, it's, it's because they all sit on one very small perch, sort of center-left uh, ideology where they basically all hold the exact same They're opinion. in the same closet. And if you deviate even ever so slightly, then, then you're offside and you're therefore offside you can't be part out. of the conversation. You're pushed out. And it's like, you know, how, how can we combat that? Or how can we carry on together in a society if we have no... We, we have no well, first of all, we, of well, first of all, you, you, and you've already done it in your case, you recognize that such institutions as CBC, NCDV, and Global, uh, implicitly or explicitly, they don't set the agenda. You'd say no. And if, uh, you know, Buddy comes on and says we're, we're going to have icebergs uh, uh, floating down the Great Northern Peninsula in six months, you get up and you say you're out of your head. Uh, the other thing is you do when I'm not flattering you. You do what you're doing. Uh, you give opinion. And by the way, if someone calls you a racist, or called you female, they called you ugly and a slut, all those nasty names that they do come up with. Resented, I can't swear on this one. F off, right. but keep doing it. What, what, what paralyzes me is we make a great deal of, of Remembrance Day in this country, and we always underline that these brave boys, because they were mainly, mm-hmm. of both wars fought so that we would have one thing, either democracy or the elements of it, the freedom to speak, the freedom to think. And if they could go through the trenches and go through the, the, the Panzer War of the Second so that we could stand up without fear of being tossed into a gulag to say no to something, why are we so timid resisting another person's opinion now? Because someone might call us a name. I, I, I just don't understand it. I really don't. And when people tell me, you know, I'm in there, if I said that, you know, I might lose my job. Lose your job. Lose it. You're making an awful bargain. Now, by the way, they might inflame or exaggerate the degree of consequence to cover an inherent cowardice. But I'm no stronger than you. You're no stronger than I in this little discussion thing. And if I say something now, that you either don't like or disagree with, you would say to me, you're out of your mind. And we will continue to talk, and I will not think less of you. Or not even you're out of your mind, just, you know, well, respectfully, just respectfully mind, disagree, you know and we can, we can talk about it. I mean, <laughs> but that's the whole idea, is that you should be able to we, talk about we could, we areas where you disagree with. Way, yes. Right. But this, this new commandant, the, the, the liberal, what we'd call them virtue merchants, mm-hmm. They have a soft totalitarian. This is what you think. And when you see, uh, I've seen this on many of the videos down in Portland, where you see, see this, this almost flower white woman talking to this black officer and telling the black officer he's not black. I mean, we, that's the other thing. I'm glad you mentioned this. 
we have also come to the point we are now allowing the utterance of true lunacies to pass with respectful silence. You must have seen in the last couple of days the article justifying that two plus two is not four. It can be five. And instead of taking whoever wrote the little thing and dropping them in a pail of pitch, mm -hmm. you know, like you may examine that argument, please. We have the case of J.K. Rowling, who I think since the days of Eve has got some evidence on her side that man is a man and a woman is a woman. And if she says that, even if she were wrong, but she says that ancient concept, and she's pilloried by the mad women who called people turfs or some damn thing. Right. I mean, it's crazy. Well, what role do you think the media plays in all this? Because one of the things <coughs> I kept noticing, I just, I feel like we're being gaslit, and, and that's a reference yeah. to a movie from the, I, I think, know. okay, so, so the idea is that, you, you know, you, you see something, and that you keep being told that what you're seeing is it's not real exactly. to drive you crazy. But, you know, they call them peaceful protests. And, then, not. and the headline will be peaceful protests, and then in the body of the story, you'll find I, out I, that there's been hundreds of people arrested that, and I wrote that people shot. Today and, or yesterday. And, and, and it happened over and over I know, and over I, again. I had four examples in, I think it's my right. most recent column. Right. That, you know, you got, 100, you got 28 people shot in a peaceful protest. Or the other one was peaceful protest intensified. Yeah, there's people dying on the street and there's arms being scattered. <laughs> the media have become part of the game. I, I don't want to start on American media, and I'm not talking about Fox. The American media, since especially the Hillary election, have decided they're no longer observers, they're participants. They are agents of change. They have doctrines, like a church has doctrines. They have ambitions. They have stated political goals. Well, the Toronto Star has, has always had The that. Toronto Star is, is a marshland of, 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 of mush liberal opinion and always has been. But it, it, it offers some sort of metaphorical comfort. But down in the States, this is active. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the hatred of Trump is a passport to every possible kind of reprehensible reportage. You can say anything, bend any rule, make up anything. You have three years of an insane collusion that he was an agent of Vladimir Putin. And we ran that up here too, by the well, way. Well, as he was, you know, putting like, the harshest the, sanctions that, that the U.S. has ever put. Never mind and, the contradictions. Right. You could not write this story and yet on CBC, CDV, Global, up here. Any new break, oh, it's cut, now the walls are closing in. And when it blew up, and it has blown up, mm -hmm. I, I resent this. Where are the backstories? Hey, we thought this, we fed it to you, 50% of every newscast. We were really, really wrong. And we, we now want to discover how did we get that wrong. And as soon as he was out of that one, it was the Ukrainian conspiracy. And they were onto that within seconds of that. Mm -hmm. The news media have lost conscience. They've lost the idea of genuine scrutiny, and they serve a partisan force. So it's, that's the set of media. That's kind of stuff that you're doing, which is a breach from the norm. And there are hundreds and hundreds of others. I have no ability to project, but this is where things, news will dissipate and at the same time disseminate. More of it, but the, the fault of the current established media is that they've lost much of their conscience. But I, I feel like the problem, Rex, is that 
most people just don't pay that much attention. So they they, they, they sort of away. vaguely sort of see headlines. They understand, you know, they, they, they do. They, they, same with the the George Floyd protests. They say, okay, uh, cop really brutally cop murdered someone, yeah, yeah. and therefore a lot of this is, <laughs> is sort of justified. And then they don't kind of follow up to see will. the you know. So the same thing with the <laughs> Russia stuff. There's a lot of people out there who probably don't know that the whole thing was no, disproven. The they just sort of believe that it's it's they still sort of sort of true. And it, it happened in the past with some of the previous. Black Lives Matter protests where, you know, the idea of hands up, don't shoot, that Michael Brown yeah, was shot in the back where, you know, the investigation done by Barack Obama's DOJ yeah, found that know, it, I, he actually wasn't and things. all this stuff. But people don't don't pay attention to that follow-up. And, and like you said, the media doesn't do a mea culpa well, and that's, say that's another we were wrong why, about all this stuff. That's another reason why so much of the ordinary, I hate the word, I really do when you use it in this context, but normal people, they've, they've closed their doors on all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, if if they have a bakery and they have to make cakes to survive, or if they got a farm, or if they're in the pharmacy or their tax, they do their best and they say, you know, we've come to believe that this is such a mess. None of them are telling us the truth. Journalism is the only profession I think I know that's lower than politics. And the number of respected journalists in this country is abysmally low. I know some in BC, I wouldn't be because it's not right to do so. But once you let people lose faith in primary institutions, if you want to see them saying, I'm not sure my schools are doing what schools are supposed to do. Why were they bringing in these wee frauds, for example? And if universities are manufacturing attitudes rather than building minds, if they're indoctrination centers of very low intellectual caliber, why would I send son or daughter to one? But we're at, we're at the end of that great blossoming where ignorance, assumption, the elite casting agendas that if you don't agree with this, well, look, look at Brexit. They were all barbarians who wanted back their own country. And if you keep crapping, I hate to leave vulgarisms, <coughs> on, on the general citizen, you elect Donald Trump. I think Trump, by the way, is a very good guy. I want to make that really clear. But most people forget that if they treated the general citizen with respect, there would not have been an election of Donald Trump. I, I see it that way too. I think that Donald Trump was like the great revenge of the sort of working man or the the working class. He's the avatar field. of your revenge. That's a fact. Right, and it's like we've had. So, so, we're so tired of your nonsense and your BS, and you're telling us what to think and what to believe. I remember halfway through that and election. Yeah, like there started to be a sort of. Thing that I noticed on social media, where the idea was, if you don't support Hillary Clinton, it's because you're sexist. Yeah, exactly. And, and I remember debating a guy that I you know, went to school with, and it's sort of like, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm a woman. I don't like Hillary Clinton for these ten yeah, policy no. reasons. You know, what does that have to do with? Well, it's like, a, but, but they, they really believe it, and it's like, well, it's because you've ingrained sexism, yeah, and and you don't see her the same way, and the scandals that get talked about her, and and they have this whole kind of conspiracy almost about why that's the case. Yeah. And, and you see that same iteration, that same line of thinking today with the, the concepts around racism, that you, you must be racist if well, you don't believe the causes of this group. You must know this, that Joe Biden, what was it, five, six weeks ago, talking to the black reporter, told the black reporter, because he was going to vote for Trump, that he wasn't black. Right. You can't make this up. Right, yeah, exactly. It's all good. Canadians still have a lot of faith in institutions. I, I look at the polling data, and in the U.S., you know, politicians, journalists, police officers do okay, but a lot of those institutions have really low approval. Surprisingly, when you look at Canada, there's still a lot of faith in institutions like journalism and pol- politics. I mean, 
Obviously, politics takes a hit depending on who's it in office. It has to be declining. The I, 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 I'm not questioning the poll because I don't know. But I, I do, I do, up until this year. Mm -hmm. I travel variously. It's not just the cities. I've, gone, I've been up north, I've been in the towns. Uh, I've met every sort of group you can imagine over 20 years plus. And I went to Way Wayburn, Saskatchewan last mm -hmm. summer. It was a wonderful meeting, a thousand farmers. And you talk to them about journalism. You know, they take, take the cow stick. They gave me one of them. I said, I bring it back to the CBC. This is for hitting the cows to get them to win. <laughs> but the, no, it's, it certainly, certainly is in decline. I'm just, I'm always surprised that there is still faith in, in the institutions. Because I, I watch media really closely. I sort of critique it. And to me, it's just so obviously not reporting the truth. No, it's not also, reporting what's actually yeah, happening yeah, in the world. That's snobbish. Uh, the, the, the lack of education. Uh, I, I had PhDs at CBC working as research assistants, but they, they'd done a PhD and I don't making it up in, in gender geography. Mm -hmm. And I, I mentioned Sherlock Holmes and what? But if you've done you know three years work on gender geography, you don't know who Sherlock Holmes is. You're ignorant. Yeah. You've wasted seven years of your life p putting stuff in your head that relates to nothing. It's vapor anyway. Well, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, that the writing habits you get from academia, I mean, the idea that you hire someone because they have a university degree, and they show up on a job, and they can't really write, and they can't really think, and they can't really put ideas together. It's like, what have you been doing for the last four years? I think the people who are aspirant uh, for a journalistic exercise, uh, if they can't be talked out of it, uh, if they go to a university, the last thing they should do is go to a journalism school. Uh, they should study, uh, suggest history would be one great thing. They should obviously study uh, English with a, a particular emphasis on narratives, I mean novels, but I also mean essays. And if they really want to get good at it, they should do a, the uh, study of poetry, uh, not for its beauty, but to analyze how words at their maximum power and force uh, have been organized. There's, there is no greater introduction to the communication of different ideas and blending argument than close attention to the most exquisite man management of words that the language has, and that is in the highest poems. And I could give you just a hundred is enough if you studied a hundred short poems but really studied them. Why is this line so electric? Why is this simile so powerful? You'll never find a cliche. You'll understand what vibrant, excitable, or persuasive language is. And we have from Montaigne to S.J. Perlman, we have 40 to 50 of the greatest English essayists that have ever lived. And the first great journalist, believe it or not, is Samuel Johnson, who's also repository of some of the highest class essays that have ever been done. You, all your journalism is in other books. And as far as setting up the microphone and learning how to chit chat back and forth, you could take a month off somewhere and go to some school and pick all that crap up. But you have to read the past. You have to have some history. And if you're in English journalism, obviously, you got to have English. The rest is, can you think?
Right. And I think that's why, in some ways, journalism has fewer barriers now than ever because yeah. anyone can tell a story. They can pick up their phone and film something yeah. that shows a unique angle that the mainstream media perhaps isn't covering. And there's there's so much more information. There's so much more. That, that, that again, And also we've allowed journalism to wander into self-narration. Uh, you know, we, we go to school, we go to school not to learn where we live. We go to school to learn the things we don't know, the things we haven't met. And outside of our own personality, we want to hear about the personalities of others. But if your dating life is the subject of your entire fascination and you can get a lifestyle uh, columnist job, you may call it journalism. Uh, I call it narcissism. You're not spreading information, you're confining it. Uh, well, you can have entertainment journalism, you know, so-called. But the serious stuff means that it's the things that make us different. And to call in education now that you must have a representative face in front of you to teach you, otherwise you can't, that goes against the entire history of civilization. We learn different things from different people. I'd rather know the Battle of Troy, which is the archetype of all battles, than I would love, I know of a certain battle in Newfoundland and Harbor Grace. I learned that too. But if I had a choice between the two, the one I would want to learn is the Troy one. I'd eventually get to this. And if I had the chance for some Australian uh, to come teach me English literature, I'd take him over a Newfoundlander teaching me Newfoundland literature. I would. <laughs> Why is that? You want to get the stuff that you don't have. I, you know, I got the Newfoundland lingo. Uh, I can figure it But I don't know uh, Erasmus. And also he passed. You have to embed your, your we, we, journalism means every day. That's etymological. But the only way you can write about every day is that you have to have some mental map of a temporal scheme. Uh, I can go, and I'm not bragging, it's true. I can go from Shakespeare to Yeats. And I got there are places all along the way. And so when I see something now, and I can either as an as a expression or a phrase or an idea, I can see where Yeats connects with John Donne. Like that's 350s, 400 years. Same sentence almost. Right. So then you say, well, this isn't new. So what you start to write, this is also true 400 years ago in a different context. Right. It teaches you another way to think about it. Journalists are jacks of all trades, but history and a real study, they should be humble before language. I agree with that. So I studied political science in school. I remember going to a seminar down in the U.S. and meeting other students that uh, you studied politics, but their degrees were in government yeah. or in politics. And, and I was kind of curious, like, what's the difference? And basically, it was that in Canadian political science courses, you learn about you know ancient Greek philosophy and yeah. and the, the the origins of political thinking, and, and it was much more based on. Yeah. Sort of philosophy, whereas they they like just literally learn like the nuts and bolts they of learn government systems. And and to me, it's almost more like a a degree in engineering or yeah, something like that. Got, it's like it's, understanding how things I the got nuts exactly and bolts work. And 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 to me, it's like well, uh, yeah, the purpose of the education really was what you get out of it, which is not just the knowledge of how a government yeah. works, but the, the the ideas underpinning it and where we came from and how. And we the other thing, this. we don't know each other, but uh, this much I know of you. You worked a little bit in the political system. Mm -hmm. I maintain it as, as an axiom that any full-time journalist in the political idea should be sent from his or her province 
and told to join the party he or she most despises, really, be given a three-month or a six-month job on salary. You are now a partisan working for the party you hate the most. And you go into the question periods, and you go into the caucuses, and you go to the campaigns, and you go door to door. You mingle with the actual stuff of politics. And you hear from North Westminster or wherever the hell you are, a voice that you will not hear uh, in the scrum at Ottawa. And then when you come back, having left the one party you really don't like, you can then say, I'm going to judge all politics. Real experience on top of education. Journalists need to get out of their own biases and their own provinces. Well, I think that would be good for all Canadians. I mean, oh, just, yeah, it would just be. the idea it's an that I, I find this a lot <coughs> in social media. I think social media, you, we were talking earlier about how you know, women get all these insults and stuff like that. Everyone does, right? Social media brings out the worst in people and it gives them a platform to say the things that they would never say in real life to your yeah. face, right? And so you have to get really tough skin. But one of the things I find is that wow, there's a subset of people out there that really loathe conservatives. They, they, they just oh, yeah. hate to their core the concept <laughs> that you're a conservative. And there's there's no kind of trying to understand or bridge it's the gap feral. or trying to see where they come from. And you see the same thing regionally, Rex. I mean, you're, you're from the East Coast. I mean, I, I don't think that there's any kind of like real hatred towards the East Coast, but I went to school in Alberta. I grew up in Vancouver on the West Coast, but I went to school in Alberta. And there seems to be like a real hatred towards people from Alberta when you're in other parts of the country, and, and maybe it goes oh, back I know. and I forth. Thought, I've studied that. I've made that part of my plot, political yeah. colonizing. Yeah, I, I know you, you've commented on this, but do, do, do you feel like the country is more divided now than it has been before? I tell you Where what, at the, at the institutional sort of level, at the management level, the management in this country is incompetent at the present mm -hmm. time. I find that when I get down, and I don't like these spatial metaphors up and down signifying quality. I mentioned Weyburn. When I get with large groups of people that aren't in some silly uh, you know, academic setting, it's the farmer here, or I went to a great uh, logging conference in another place, and I've been at a lot of farm exhibitions, and I know nothing about them, I mean nothing. And yet you make the rounds, and you meet the women, you meet the men, some of the kids, and there's something so stable and welcoming. I mentioned 9-11 when the Newfoundlanders welcomed the Americans. Gander you know about, Gambo you don't in even smaller towns, mm -hmm. never traveled any more than 50 miles, the majority of them. But the natural spirit, it was un, unaffected. It wasn't, uh, they're not looking around saying, they're gonna, they're gonna think we're really good. It was real. They were starved, or sorry, they were staggered, they were in anxiety. This is a little tiny place, what can we do for them? Mm -hmm. And that, if they dropped down in Weyburn, it would have been different in form, but it would have been the same. The great swath, and that's true of all the cultures. We get into this identity boat. It's true that the norm of most people is good. And in Canada, <laughs> it is so easy and so friendly. I've been around now for far too long for far too many people. <laughs> but it really is interesting how gently pleasant people are when they meet a stranger that's not a stranger, if you're following me. Mm -hmm. uh, I expect to be, you know, a rock throw net and all this stuff. People are just plain nice. The natural sentiment of the country is towards a controlled harmony, uh, a disposition to go positive before the results come in. In other words, extend the good hand and we'll see what happens. It is not vicious. It does not contain any elements of predetermined animosity based on category. We all have a subdivision of people who are either strange or angry or ugly. 
That's everywhere. But in the national disposition, treat other people decently. If you have the capacity, help them when you can. Be friendly. Don't be over-friendly. And moderate. All that sounds dull, but it, it adds up to a word that has not got the value that it much deserves to have. They are decent human beings. And they can be farmers, or they can be corporate masters, by the way. Mm-hmm. Or they can be doctors, or they can be janitors. They can be anyone. But the, the mix that I've encountered is overwhelmingly more positive than negative, And it is overwhelmingly more welcoming than bigoted. Oh, so this is sort of the line of thinking that you had in that column that you yeah. wrote saying, you know, Canada's, sure, there's individual instances of racism, but, but the, there are bigotry. all over the world. Yeah. And the, the country isn't characterized by no. racism. And, that, and that's such an important distinction. And when I, when I read your column, I was sort of, you know, relieved because it's like, finally someone's saying this, well, right? It's obvious. And, and it's almost like, why does it need to be said? Well, it didn't need to be said it, it, in, in the real world. It, but, but, but in that moment, <laughs> no one else was saying it. And there was sort of a chilled, you know, we were watching What's what was happening doing? in the U.S. And, you know, people who were speaking out, out against it were getting sort of canceled. We talked about Stockwell Day yeah, having the wrong opinion or stating the opinion in the wrong oh, way yeah, on the CBC. And you wrote a, a column that was very sort of gentle and reasonable and not over the top, not bombastic, it was, not it was aggressive. Dull. It was dull. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. It was interesting. And like I said, when I read it, I, I felt good because it's like, you know, someone needs to say this because yeah, this is how do. we all feel. And similarly, I've traveled all over the country. I've lived in different yeah. cities, different regions. And I've, I, I think that there are a few sort of themes and characteristics that Canadians have. They, they sort of tend to defer to order. Yeah. Uh, they like to follow rules. They're friendly and they, and they will go out of their way to help people. They Obviously, will. not that's not everybody, but that's no, the general sort of character. And so wh- why is it that that column that you wrote just sort of struck a chord and, and, and launched this because negative it's, reaction? Because, I, know, I won't be specific, but because uh, there is a mindset or a mentality that seems to have only found nourishment in nursing imaginary or real grievances, and putting a microscope on every possible flaw. And I eat the, Mr. Trudeau, I wrote another column a while back. I don't mind him apologizing for what he perceives to be, what he calls historic wrongs. But if we're going to get a rain of apologies from the prime minister, I would also like to hear him on alternate days saying, oh, by the way, this is not the entirety. And if we do have an incident of racism, and we do have them, we also have incidents where the opposites happen. I don't know if people remember the great flight from Vietnam. And these are hardly our look-alike neighbors. I don't remember anyone saying that Canada's immigration policy had some secret device to bar out sets of people based on their color. I've been in too many small... I've met a guy from... I forget the African state. I met him up beyond Edmonton. And I said, what in the hell are you doing here? You, you left, you know, the tropical climate and you're way up here for the last 15 years. He said, I love it here. I see too much of the benign being bypassed and every little tiny silly thing. And secondly, grievance mongering is also a form of politics. You can get ahead in this world if you decide to make picking at 
various sexual, ethical, uh, ethnical, sexual, religious. If you can find some spot where you can claim a grievance and blame it on the whole society or the whole history, it's a, it's a path towards a certain celebrity. But you do not hear, they're not on the panels, you do not hear about the, 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 the woman out in, in, in Red Deer and, and, and her, her next door neighbor died and she decided the husband's alone. She bakes some bread once in a while and gives him some Sunday dinner. I, I've been down in Newfoundland when tragedies occur and husbands have been lost and other husbands come over in the winter and take care of <laughs> We don't, and by the way, they don't look for the color. They look for the need. You could multiply a thousand times. Individual gestures and individual concourse constitutes the tissue of a nation, not the stories that hit a damn headline or my, my ridiculously innocuous column. If I'm not allowed to say I'm grateful that I happen to land here as opposed to North Korea, if I'm not allowed to say I actually like it here, and I have a couple of good reasons why it should be liked. And if that causes a storm, the dilemma is not mine to face. The mystery has to be unraveled in the mind who finds it injurious to read such a thing. But it, and yet that's sort of the situation that you found yourself in, because I mean, the column said other things too, right? It was a critique of Justin Trudeau and Catherine McKenna yeah. who were sort of always, playing on always, this yeah. race-based sort of... Every now and then I said, please include something, you know... Positive. So, 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 can you walk us through sort of what what happened because it, it sort of turned into a stir. We saw that there was what, a report. I'll, I'll walk you into it so far as I I know about it. Uh, I don't care about those things. Mm -hmm. it, it was a big blow, and I know there was. I didn't explain. I'm being very frank with you. Sure. Didn't really greatly explore. I know there was a because uh, I couldn't avoid reading it. Uh, something of a, a roar in the newsroom. Uh, I was asked if I minded a, if another column was written. I said write ten. I don't care. Uh, I write what I write. So I said, another one don't like it. Fine. I don't care. <coughs> That's what we do. Uh, I did make it a point to say that if, uh, if there was going to be interference, I'd say this out loud too. Then, you know, you got a choice to make. Uh, I'm not stopping what I'm doing. And I'm not apologizing for what I wrote. I think you saw that. And so I said, I'm going to write one saying where I am. You can take it. And they do. And they backed it. And uh, I, I will make one tiny, tiny, tiny claim here. Uh, the fact that I went out of my way to say, no, I'm not apologizing. Uh, I think Stockwell Day made a really bad mistake. He's a decent man. He should have said, well, I might have said something clumsy, but I, I didn't say anything bad, and I'm not apologizing. And the, 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 the celerity with which some powerful people in this country Someone in one of the art magazines recently almost disemboweled himself in, 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 in glutinous apology for some imagined sin. Look, there are real pains in this world. There are people in other countries wondering whether they can get food for the baby tomorrow morning. There are, we have some in China. There are people in jails. There are people who have fantastic and painful illnesses. There are people in poverty. And we sometimes find such silly stuff and organize our lives and our passions behind it. We should be ashamed of ourselves. We have it really, really, really good in this country, regardless of any background. 
and in comparison with most of the countries of the world, we've been given a benediction. Generations past, I'm from Newfoundland, I know what it was like down there in the 30s. <clears throat> I wouldn't have lasted. We've had it soft and easy. We've inherited more than we've ever built ourselves. We have a stable democracy. We have a reason civility, a reason civic order, and we have <clears throat> the greatest spread of natural resources over one of the vastest land masses in the entire world. We don't have civil war. We never get huge natural disasters. And aside from this, I'm not sure, whatever COVID is, this is about the worst thing we've faced since the First World War. Can't you be grateful? Think of the people crawling around in civil wars and in places like Cambodia 30 years, people who went through war, who lived in Russia. Count your damn blessings. That's not chauvinism. Right. It's well, reality. I'm glad you mentioned gratitude because I, I feel like that's something that's often just missing Don't in our get society. It. Don't get it. Well, one of the things I learned just sort of growing up here is that the people who I always found were the most sort of patriotic Canadians were immigrants, people who had come from other places. My husband. I, I can speak to that too. Yeah, my husband came from Iran when he was 13, and you know, to this day, he'll say he'd be dead or in jail if he if his I family had stayed in Iran. I have a friend from Belgrade. Iran. I have a whole family from China. They beam when they talk about this place. I love them more than I love some of the Canadians. Well, because they've seen something different well, and they the, understand what, what they have liberty the virtue means of and what, right. And all this, this, this obsessional, puritanical fault finding and always putting your center, yourself at the center of the virtue being discussed. There's a narcissism here disguising itself as, oh, I'm rooting out injustice. We've invented more areas of false pain. There's enough real pain in the world not to be playing around with two plus two equals five. There really is, you know. Well, then the, what do you make of the, the argument that you, that you can't talk about racism in Canada because you're a white man or you're an older well, guy? There's no such thing. A white privilege is, is a garbage concept. It is a political concept. And if, if racism is a dynamic between races, and it's a plural. Uh, you have no special stock. Uh, am I to claim that because of the Irish famine that you can't read James Joyce? Uh, you can't rule out the areas of discussion based on your eucasy. Uh, if I want to talk to someone about English literature, I know a little bit about that. That doesn't mean I can tell you to shut up. Right. And this idea of lived experience is somehow authenticating any assertion, what other kind of experience is there? Have you got some unlived experience that I haven't heard about? Well, the, the, I have lived experience. No, you have I have experience. lived experience. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, they, the, the thing that the left is really good at, really clever at, is they take something that's completely obvious, like everyone has different experiences, everyone has a different perspective based on their experiences, they have a different view of things based on where they yeah, come from. We also from. have minds and logic and brains and R we can read right. you know, a lot of things besides how I feel. Right, but then that, that sort of leads and it, it, yeah. it doesn't just become my lived experience, yeah. it's like my truth, which is I different know. than your truth. Well, and that's, there can again, be, it's, you know, a, it's, it's a high school argument. Right. Anyone who pays respect to people who talk about their truths, and every, there are six of us in the room and we have seven truths, uh, you're, you're allowed to. Do, you, you can you can join in if you want, but it's 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 third rate thinking. It just it just doesn't stand. And there's another thing, on the thing like two plus two, 
anything like logic. You don't bend. I'm sorry. There's people trying to suggest that the STEM uh, studies should now take in race factors and this fact. This is garbage. And here's the beginning of change. I don't know why people mute themselves when they see obvious idiocies that are literally an insult to your intelligence if you don't say no back to them. Why they clamp their mouths. Mm -hmm. If you were want to go study astrophysics, go to a good astrophysics university. Don't, don't phone Oprah and, and, and bring in Dr. Phil and, and think you'll feel your way to it. Because you, there are so many obvious things that are being told, we're being told are not obvious. That's also where all the people beneath the television studios are laughing their heads off or are pissed off. And they're saying, this is a lie. What's his name? Obama. You can keep your doctor. He lied to them 50 times in the world. Not one newsman outside of the hard right types. He said that lie over and over and over again. Never got challenged. Everyone else knew it was a lie. You, you can't suppress the truth and think that other people are not noticing. Right. Well, do you think that we're going to hit a turning point, Rex? Like at some point, because I feel like now, you know, you say don't apologize. And if you're in a place where your workforce is telling you to do something that you don't want to do, quit. Most people can't do that. Most, Most people, people can't do that. have to go to work. They have to go to work. And they just learn to keep their mouth shut because I know. And they, they have opinions. And, and, you know, like we were talking where did, about Where earlier. does that finally go? I mean, I agree with you. Right? Uh, people who have dependents and are hard up. They got to have the job. Yeah, and so they don't have the choice to just say, like, I refuse but to apologize. If, but but if, if they continue to accept the clamp, I don't mean them individually, mm -hmm. the clamp will just come on harder. You, you work so that you have the means to live, that you can provide supplies for yourself and your family and possibly a bit of entertainment. But if, if, if in the earning of the, of the means to live, life itself becomes conscripted and that you have to bend your personality, and that you have to bury inside of yourself things you know are not true, then as you live that life, it will become exhausting and not worth living to begin with. So I know the challenge. I certainly don't have the answer to it. But if we concede too much of what is false, it will corrupt us. That's the challenge. And then, I, I mean, there, there's just, you can point to so many <coughs> examples. Uh, one was Queen's University is introducing a new initiative where it's going to allot a certain percentage of, of its uh, places at medical school to black and indigenous Canadians or people. Um, and those people don't have to write the same entrance exams as everyone else. So, so you can become a doctor without actually <coughs> writing the MCAT. I mean, at what point in our society are we conceding so much to try to make up for you know, in some ways, very legitimate grievances or there are grievances and they are legitimate, but you can't. But at what point have we given up too you much? You can't apply the wrong remedies, and you can't dissolve truth. Mm -hmm. uh, I cannot play uh, the, the Mozart Ballad in G minor unless I got four or five years of extremely good medical uh, musical instruction, and it's no good. I'll go to Doctor Phil because he's neutral. It's no good me phoning up Dr. Phil and saying, come in here and, and talk me into playing the Mozart, uh, you know, <laughs> the ballad. There are certain things, one of the great things of Western civilization is that it built up protocols for the approach to acquiring and adding to knowledge. And these were independent of, of scribal belief, they were independent of scripture, they were observational, they were empirical, and they followed laws of logic and arithmetic. It's a cold, neutral 
value empty system, but it is a system for ensuring certainty at the level of physical fact. It's one of the greatest institutions, if not the greatest, after language. The ability to acquire technical understanding of the world in which we're in. There's only one path to reaching it. Scientific method, rationality, and the discipline of mind and mathematics, especially mathematics. You can dislike mathematics. You, you can call it white mathematics if you want. But if you do, you're an idiot. It's mathematics. And an Indian, one of the ones that I most admire, he was a, he was a genius intuitively at the age of four. He knew more of the nature of mathematics than Einstein at 20. It had nothing to do with color of skin. But the system, you don't go into universities and say, oh, well, <coughs> we can throw in a bit of uh, cultural studies and uh, women's fiction into the uh, disciplines of uh, algebra and quantum physics. That's just willing insanity. Well, you should be talking to Jordan Peterson about this stuff. He's much better at it. Well, and so we were talking about Jordan a little bit before the, the camera started rolling, and I think that he's contributed so much yes. just, just in reminding us of, of some of the very basic truths. Like, I, I know I, I sent my dad some of his videos when he was just first kind of becoming mm -hmm. famous, and my dad's like, you know, I already agree with all this stuff. Like, this is nothing new to me. And, and to me, I'm like, well, he's saying something that no yeah. one else is really saying at this moment. We and, do, well, there, you know, something, we, I'll end it at this. We do need a refurbishment and a reminder of the things that are true and the things that count. We, meaning of certainly of my generation, uh, my father's it wasn't true. We grew up without that edge of want or need. They didn't have their medicines. They didn't have reliable jobs. They had many illnesses. They were truly poor. They didn't know if they would ever have any possibility of a good life. And as the 40s went to the 50s, the 60s, and all Western culture came, all the toys, the computers, Wealth, as other portions of the world cannot even dream of it. You carry in your pocket a computer that, as, as the cliche has it, could send five missiles to the moon 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we are shielded without war, without famine. We've had it so damn good that we've forgotten that it is transient. It has to be supported. And the main support of the system we enjoy is holding on to reality and truth and stop playing games with each other on false political charges. Well, thank you so much, Rex. It's so insightful, and we really appreciated every moment of the conversation. It just <laughs> had to be a delight, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm very for being pleased here. to meet you. Thank Your you. first class. Thank you so much.